Welcome to Phil and Ted's Sexy Boomer Show with your hosts, Phil Proctor and Ted Bonnet. Phil and Ted continue their conversation with Gerald Caselli, the co-founder of the iconic rock and roll band, Devo. Part two, to the moon and back. Devo is discovered in a New York City punk club by David Bowie, launching them into a platinum record sensation that all came crashing down, or as Gerald calls it, Devolution. And now, your sexy boomer hosts, Phil Brocker and Ted Bonnet. We're back. It's Phil and Ted's Sexy Boomer Show, and our guest today, Gerald Casali, co-founder of Devo, and we are speaking with him in his backyard. Your biggest hit was Platinum. Yeah. Was Whip It. Yeah. Now, Whip It, I wonder if it was so successful because so many people internalize it as some sort of perverse sexual concept. Yeah, lucky for us. Yeah. <laughs> so what happened is, you know, that was a song about um, I'm making fun of the Horatio Alger, you can do it, American exceptionalism, you know, there's ah. nobody else like you, you're number one. And, and uh, frankly, uh, who did it much better was uh, Thomas Pynchon. I wrote Whip It uh, as a homage to Pynchon of what he was doing there in, in Gravity's Rainbow. And, um, you know, it, it evolved over time because Mark had some cassettes. There was, a you know, a figure here, a segment there. We listened to things. And I, I just took four things that I loved that he did and coagulated them into one BPM. And, mm-hmm. and just collaged them together into parts of a, of a composition because it worked. So immediately everybody thought it was about beating off or sadomasochism. Yeah. And if we went to a radio station and tried to explain what it was about, you could see their, their smiles, their, yeah. Oh, yeah, their sure. like uh, sick yeah. grins. They would just <laughs> become crestfallen like, oh, get these guys out of here, right? Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there was ever a woman or a female Im- image on a, on a Devo record. It was about uh, duty for the future. Yeah. So what happened was the record company went with uh, Girl You Want. It was their final salvo to Devo. They said, if, if this doesn't go, there's not going to be another record, guys. You can sue us if you want. I know we have a five-record deal, but I'm telling you this third one's it. So they put out Girl You Want. It stiffs. So we think, okay, that's, that's it. That's it. So we still go on tour. We're like through the first four cities and somebody goes, you won't believe this. This guy, Cal Rudman, this radio programmer down in Florida, he's playing Whip It every day. He's playing the shit out of it. And we, nobody at the record company paid him off. Nobody gave him blow. <laughs> nobody gave him whores, right? Because the record company wasn't going to spend money on Devo. <laughs> he just loved it. And it took off. Was that AM or FM? FM. This is FM, and it got it got huge, and it started spreading up to New York. And then Mourner said, "Well, listen, stop the tour. You need bigger venues. We're you're you're selling out, and we you're getting complaints. So we we went from like 500 seats to 3,000 seats. Oh man! For the rest of that tour, and then to 5,000 seats by that fall, and and they now Warner's wanted a video, <laughs> <laughs> and so. I had found that magazine. Uh, I was with John Zabrucki at a novelty shop, and we they had used books and magazines. Found that magazine about a dude ranch guy, a, a, a stunt man in Hollywood that moved with his stripper wife to a dude ranch in Arizona, 
left Hollywood, and every day at noon in the corral, he'd whip her clothes off down to a <laughs> down to her bikini pants. Yeah, it was a routine, right? And they showed all the pictures. It was in Dude Magazine. <laughs> no, it was a sexual song. No, we were going to make it that. And it's like, okay, we're going to go all the way. You're conforming. Absolutely. And there was this woman that looked like Grace Jones that worked at the Buttery in Santa Monica, which was a, a croissant joint. Yeah, I remember that place. And she was really like a Venus, a Willendorf figure, you know. And we shot a 16-hour day. Uh, in, a, in our rehearsal studio on the outskirts of Beverly Hills near where the what, what is now a Mercedes-Benz dealership. It, was, it's, it cost a whopping 15 grand. Warner's was like, 15 grand. <laughs> <laughs> and it just took off. It took off, but didn't you get flack for that? Not then. We actually did um, a talk I gave one day. We did an abbreviated version of the song with freeze frames to show every rule of MTV that we broke in that one video, <laughs> which was like seven rules, right? But MTV to this day still plays it as, as a grandfathered thing from the past. Oh, yeah. Yes, you would never. First of all, you can't whip the clothes off a woman. No, no, not today. Maybe a woman could whip the clothes off of a man now, and a black woman would be whipping the clothes off a white guy now. Yeah. <laughs> And the white guy would have to be macho. The black woman would have to be LGBTQ. <laughs> you know, we, we know all the rules now. Yeah. <laughs> My God. In, at the one point, the girl, that, the girl in the cabin is a cross-eyed Asian girl who tries to shoot the beer can out of the cowboy's hand. But because she's cross-eyed, she misses. <laughs> it was really, really incorrect. Totally. Everything was incorrect. But, you know, we made fun of ourselves. We look like fools on the video. I mean, that's the whole point. We have yeah. Jughead turtlenecks coming right up to the nose. Yeah. Pre-pandemic again, another future prediction. There you go. And then uh, the very peak uh, of your success, in my, at least for me, was the Radio City Music Hall. Oh, my God. Halloween 81. Yeah, I'll never forget that, ever. I mean, this is, what, two, three years out of Max's? And, um, and then you started playing. But the stage was empty. If you're not familiar, I really recommend you go Google uh, YouTube Devo and listen to that plane and that energy. And I don't know what you opened up, but it was definitely one of the high energy songs. And I was like, well, where the hell are they? And then the stage <laughs> is empty and they're playing wailing. And then the stage opened and four risers started coming up. You were all playing at full intensity. People shit their pants. On a treadmill going at fast speed really? as they were playing. Oh, no. The house just erupted. Whose idea was that? Mine. I did all those stage ideas. The treadmill was part of what the plan for that tour was because each tour would be planned and then we'd rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. Oh man, yeah. So the treadmills and this, this kind of Greek fast food temple thing that we you know it was a, it was a temple that broke down and became a um an eight foot high platform that mark and i would be on and the band would be under it oh wow but it was a facade of a translucent plexiglass temple that looked like fast food greek restaurant wow. right on purpose well when i found out and i never knew this when i found out that that the uh, uh radio city music hall had a stage that rose from the basement that had been designed by a guy that did stuff for aircraft carriers, right? 
because they were telling us, you know, oh, when you go to Radio City Music Hall, this is a union gig. Your your guys, you know, you got 14 guys in this crew. None of them are going to be able to do anything. They can point and tell the other guys yeah, to do something. Pick that up for me. That's I, it. I was going. That's so hideous. What the? It's crazy. <laughs> Everything was horrible. Like we rehearsed this for six weeks, and you can't tell some Hugh Boone teamster to do something and think he's going to do it right. You mean we can't control our treadmills? No, you have to point. You know, because there was a guy upstage controlling the speed and the direction of the treadmills. Oh. That's how we were synced up, right? And they go, and furthermore, you know, you have this choice. Now, you can just set it up on stage and then, you know, obey the five minutes, five minutes to the hour hand-washing rule and all this. Or you can put it on this stage that's on hydraulics that comes up out of the basement. And I went, what? <laughs> what? I was like, oh my God. Okay. Okay. This is it. We're going to play a montage of our films, and the films are going to be just behind where that stage comes up, and we're going to, they're going to start hearing us, and then we're going to come right up in front of those films as they fade out, right? And that's what you saw. Yeah. And the fact that we appeared fully lit yeah. in the song, the Got people it. just all stood up and never sat down. Uh, that's entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> From my perspective, that was the Acme moment for oh. Devo. It was my favorite show, one of my favorite shows that we ever, ever, ever did. Ever. Did you feel that was the pinnacle in a way, in well, retrospect? Well, I, I mean, to a theatrical Devo show that would be, that had been like, you know, conceptually worked out and rehearsed, yes. And, and it was just that crowd that night and the way everything worked. Because when you do those kind of things, a lot goes wrong. But nothing went wrong that night. It was one of those magic nights. Insane. Radio City was one of those places. Best place I ever saw Roxy Music. One of yeah. the best concerts I ever saw was the Psychedelic Furs there. Oh, my God. It I was mean, transcendent. Wait, if you're on that night and, you're, and that's your venue... There's nothing better. <laughs> For me, it was the Christmas show with the live camel. I'm sorry, am I missing something? <laughs> Had to be one of the best venues in the world. Yeah. And, and also, you know, the, the Universal Amphitheater out here in L.A., that was another one at the high point of Devo. Yeah, yeah. We, did, we did several different tours there that were just perfect. And then the era-ending performance that I saw, at least in my mind, was November of 88. I was living in Washington, D.C., and I went to see you at the 930 Club. Oh my God, that place. I had already heard that you had lost your deal. Yeah. The striking thing about it was before you came on, it was like a low key set and there were like four stools. Uh -huh. And everybody's kind of going, what? And then you came out ever so mellow yeah. with acoustical instruments and sat down yeah. and played what I thought you were just riffing off of your Muzak versions of your songs. And this went on for a few songs. 20 minutes. Yeah. And everybody's going, <laughs> what's going on? And then you stood up and you said, now you may be asking yourselves, why is Devo sitting down? Well, we just wanted to show you that after 10 years in this business, we still can sit down. And then, right, right. And then you threw your stools off and then you went to town. That's right. The interesting yeah. thing was after the show, I was with some friends and we were at the bar having some drinks. Mm -hmm. And Mark came out and started hanging out and sitting and having a beer with whomever wanted to have a beer with him. And he was, I have to say, he was bitter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He was pissed. Mm -hmm. 
people were saying, what's going on? You know, I could just hear her. And I thought, you know, it was sad. It was sad to see that, but it was kind of a, a wild experience for me to have seen the ignition, well, for me, the ignition point at Max's Kansas City, right. uh, and then 11 years later to see that experience. That's the evolution. <laughs> well, it was entropy because entropy. because we had Radio City <laughs> Music Hall in the middle of that. That's correct. I looked out that night even though our careers were in the toilet, and yes, I was probably bitter too, but differently than Mark. I. I accepted responsibility for what we had done wrong and our mistakes, and I understood why we were where we were. He just, he's the kind of guy that thinks everything he does is genius. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know the difference. So I lucked out that night. Uh, I didn't get a chance to be bitter because I met this girl who was an equestrian. Ah. She took a liking to me, and she, we left the 930 club, and she took me to some other club. And she took me back to her place. And, uh, you know, I like girls that ride horses. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Do you like horses? <laughs> <Fire sign line. laughs> you know, Washington, D.C., if you move the letters around, it's see the shit go down. <laughs> do you mind my asking what mistakes were made? I mean, what, what do you think happened? I think that, um, you know, if Devo, you know, you've got to stay true to your vision, right? And you have to know what it is about what you do that is the best of what you do. And I feel Mark left that behind when we did Shout. That was my, I had a nervous breakdown. I hated that record. And it's just a bunch of Fairlight machinery and tedious sounds and busyness for its own sake and terrible song structure. And his attitude back then was, hey, look, you know, when we would be coming in every day and trying to work together, it was like, this is what's happening. You don't have, you don't have to come if you don't like it. Oh. Ooh. Oh, yeah. But you guys are like brothers. Well, yeah, but... Well, you had brothers in, in yeah. the van. But, I mean, you saw what happened during the Civil War with brothers. Oh, right. Um, <laughs> it just, I just I didn't like it. I said, this is not good, you know, and then that boy, that just offended him, you know. His ego was super huge then, and... It's like, this is, you know, this is bullshit. And I tried to, you know, you feel compelled. It's like, my God, damned if you do, damned if you don't. I can't just disappear here. Let me see what I can do with this material and tried to deal with it. And I ended up doing most of the singing on that record because he wasn't even really singing anymore. He'd sing like this, you know, don't rescue me. Okay. Anyway, I think that was the, that was the fork in the road. That's when Alan left. Not too long ago, somebody said, I had a guy over at my house doing electrical work. That's right. And he said, I, I was in that band. Right. He goes, what? You were in what band? He goes, I was in Devo. Wow. I don't know. When he quit, that's what he did to was make this money. Myers? Uh, yeah, Alan Myers. Yeah, yeah. He just never played again? No, he played. His girlfriend was a musician at the time. He started this band called Babushka, huh. which was a whack band. I mean, I can't even explain... <laughs> It, let's just say it was like some Baltic fusion band. Mm. You can imagine how whack that is. <laughs> and, of course, it didn't take off. He played in the local clubs in Los Angeles with her, and uh, no one cared about Babushka. And after that, he just started doing uh, electrical work, you know, for people that wanted high-end systems installed in their whole house, you know, centralized. Home theaters. Yes. Huh. 
It sounds like the group didn't break up so much as it just moved on. Uh, attrition. Well, it devolved. Yeah. It devolved. You know, that was shocking when Alan quit. I just, I, I was heartbroken. I oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, he, I loved his drumming. I, I mean, me as a bass player playing with Alan, it was like just... What I read was that he was uh, offended by the drumming. The well, uh, like, that's what I know to be true, and of course, that's being obfuscated all the time by others. But uh, that's what you think it was. Well, I mean, Mark doesn't want to admit that he drove that by loving his machines, you know. But I mean, think about being Alan Myers, and all the drums are being programmed and frankly sound dumb, right? Because I think what made Devo cool and interesting was we sounded like machines. But it wasn't. And then suddenly, if you really have a machine, now it's sterile. Like James Brown, he was so tight, it sounds yeah. like he's got a sequencer line going. Yes. It's interesting. It was like, it's like you were robotic, but human. But not robots, right. Yeah. 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 That was. It's kind of like Mark took it to real robots, and that was, there's no tension there. There's just no animal satisfaction to any of that. I mean, the Depeche Mode used the Fairlight brilliantly um, on songs that were on that record like personal jesus and you know they made it they made it work but mark wasn't making it work it wasn't who you were it just wasn't it didn't have the odor and the funk of devo yeah right the organics the organics it did not and it's really too bad it really is he's being an artist and he's trying yes, this is what he wanted to do and what he wanted to do i thought was not what we should be doing. Like, mm -hmm. I know that's what you want to do, but I wish that isn't what you were doing. <laughs> Still continue to play. I mean, I, I was at Sundance, and I heard after the fact that you had played. Yeah, we played the closing ceremony uh, that year of 1996 yeah. with Josh Freeze. You know, he saved us because he came in with his youth energy and and real drums again and, and sounded really close to Alan because he respected what we did, and he learned to play drums to our songs in his father's garage. Mm. Really? Starting with Freedom of Choice. You're listening to Phil and Ted's Sexy Boomer Show, and our special guest today, Gerald Casale of Devo. We'll be right back. Shoes for industry. Shoes for the dead. Shoes for industry. Hi, I'm Joe Beats. Hey, what chance does a returning deceased war veteran have for that good-paying job, more sugar, and the free mule you've been dreaming of? Well, think it over. Then take off your shoes. Now you can see how increased spending opportunities means harder work for everyone, and more of it, too. So do your part today, Joe. Join with millions of your neighbors and turn in your shoes. For industry. You're listening to Phil and Ted's Sexy Boomer Show. To hear all the Sexy Boomer Shows and get your hands on our Sexy Boomer bumper sticker, visit SexyBoomerShow.com. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast right now by clicking the subscribe button in your podcast player. Back to Phil Proctor and Ted Bonnet and their special guest, Devo co-founder, Gerald Casale. Are we going to see Devo again? Well, we would have, you know, had it not been for COVID. After all, you know, year after year of Mark saying no and, you know, throwing our opportunities in the toilet, he said yes last November. Oh, my mm. God. Because, you know, AEG and, 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 and you know, Live Nation, they, they plan nine months in advance. Sure. You know? Sure. So, and they come to you with these offers, and they have to move on if you table them. Yeah. So, actually, we we said, listen, Mark, come on. It's now or never, right. you know. So, he, he agreed to a handful of big festivals and high-profile shows with 
the best money we've ever seen thrown at us. Oh, no. And then they all started in late May. And you know what happened. And they're all gone, like for us and every other band, oh, right? Oh, yeah. So 2020 th- was going to be us celebrating oh. the 40th anniversary of Freedom of Choice, right? And and the elections that could Perfect. be our last elections. We got Freedom of Choice and Whip It, and we're out there live with this message. The soundtrack to our times. It would have been incredible. Yeah. And we would have been playing probably at fundraisers uh, at this point because... As much as we think Joe Biden is just a, a terrible choice and, you know, hospice Joe, as we call him, the, the situation's so dire here. It's, it's yes. between a human being and a monster. Yes. That's what it's down to. And it's between, like, saving what's left of democracy yes. in shambles and, and just saying goodbye to it once and for all. Yes. And this is total fascism. Rule of law is in the toilet. Uh, Constitution has been, he's taken a wrecking ball to it. Yeah, well. I'm saying this is you can't overstate it. Even even Obama, okay, a centrist, you know, aw shucks G guy, right? He he sounded more wow, polemical than I've ever heard him ever yeah. in his speech the stakes uh, are very third high. night of the DNC. He said it. He said this is about saving what's left of democracy. That's right. Obama said that. You know if he's saying that, it is fucking true. Do you think that the COVID impact on... I think it's helping Trump. You do. We're all watching this, and we're all... Our mouths are, you know, open like air guitar. Like, yeah. we're all watching him take a pass, get a pass on everything. I mean, everything. He wasn't kidding that he could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and nothing would happen. Get away with it. Sure. Because it's all him denying that the pandemic existed, saying it was a Democratic hoax. For six weeks, he doubled down on China Z who was trying to, you know, not take a blame for it, right? So the, the virus got six weeks on humans because of him, head start. Then Trump doubles down and gives it another six weeks head mm-hmm. start. And nobody's blaming him for anything when it's all yeah, on tape. I know. It's all there. You say things enough times. Well, that's what Hitler did. Hitler said the bigger the lie, the more you repeat it. Trump said, if you vote for the Democrats, you're going to think they're your friends, but they will terminate you. Yeah. <laughs> he actually said no, that. No, I know. He's talking about gaslighting. Yeah, we're fascists. That's incredible. Said the fascist. I mean, I love how he, you know, he comes up with this thesis that the only way he loses is if the election's rigged. So that's yeah. the dog whistle to his base for insurrection. I grew up thinking that liberalism was the norm. It turns out it was the exception. Yeah, we, we we lived in a in a uh, we we caught a little like wave where you know you get your head above the water and you you can breathe right or like or like Chuck Yeager played by uh, who who played him in the right stuff great great actor who's dead now oh uh, uh, Sam Shepard Sam Shepard Sam Shepard when he plays Yeager he he's in the new experimental X X fifteen and he's not part of the the bullshit astronaut program as he sees it yeah. And he, in the X-15, he breaks in past the zoosphere and he sees outer space for about 20 seconds before he passes out and it descends and then he, he wakes up in parachutes, right? But he, he saw it. Mm-hmm. We had a run. We, meaning people that were teenagers by the time the Beatles hit, we had a run of relative freedom and, and uh, self-expression. Uh, it was there. There was a feeling of 
of things really moving in the right direction. I'd like to think, because I'm an optimist, that um, lessons were learned and that maybe this organism is the only thing that had the power to reveal the unsustainability of our society. Well, I mean, this is pure diabolical and demonic. Uh, Trump is, is, is a demon. He eats burned steaks and he drinks Diet Coke all day long and he doesn't drink. I can't trust that guy. <laughs> Devo could have a certain relevancy now. It would have been great. Yeah. It would have been but great. But it, it still could be great, given all your visual... What, are we going to play a Zoom concert? No, but I mean, you could maybe convert and, and apply what you did to the newness of this situation. Well, you help us out here. You tell us what to do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm, overwhelming, I'm overwhelmingly uh, beaten down. I do want to talk to you about what you're doing now and what came out of all of this. You know, it was surprising to see that you were into wine. I think I saw the LA Times article when it came out. The 50 by 50 right. um, venture that you have going right. based on the uh, architect Vendero. Right. He, my, uh, my restoration architect partner, I don't mean sexual partner, he's my partner in the wine business. He, um, he got the rights from Mies Vendero's grandson Dirk Lohan in Chicago to take a design that, that um, Mies designed in 1950 and, and never got a commission to build and James the sky is building it. He's according to Mies' plan. This is a 50 by 50 glass. 50, 50, 50 by 50 glass house. There's no walls. There's partitions that float. I saw the rendering with the bedroom yeah, wide open. That's right. You got to be sort of an exhibitionist, I'd imagine. Yeah, but it's sitting in the middle of yeah, of course. Uh, twenty-five acres. You just attract animals, and that's yeah. the twenty-five acres he owns. It's going to be the, where you come and and drink the fifty by fifty. Ah. This was announced a few years ago, as was the the vineyard, and it was going to take five years. For, yeah. Well, you know, so you, are, we, are we there? No, thanks to um, James having to fight with the county and the city about the building. Because it's radical, right? Nobody sure. makes a building like this. Sure. How are the grapes? Never got planted. Oh. I still um, purchase my grapes from, uh, with a contract with certain rows and blocks, you know, mm -hmm. one vineyard for the rosé, another vineyard in Sonoma Coast for the really serious Pinot Noir. And you thought show business was hard. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, the grape business is the pits. It really is. You know the, the stupid, cliched joke about how to make a fortune in the wine business. How's right? that? Spend ten times that fortune. <laughs> <laughs> you, so you're into architecture as well. Oh, yeah, I really am. I would have been in a different life had I grown up differently, I think. I would have been an architect, I think, that way. But, of course, music was accessible. You, could, you didn't need money and years of schooling to make music, right? You could get together and you could do it with some cheap amps and guitars. But I think our music was quite visual and architectural. Even the way it's structured, yeah. even the way the com compositions are. You're building things, you know? That's right. You really, uh, your visuals, the, the, the use of the props, uh, you know, very simple use of props, which Firesign did too, uh, and the projection, the, oh, those early projections, everything, my God! It's a visceral viewing and, and feeling experience. Well, coming up with those ideas, sometimes alone and sometimes with Mark, sometimes with Chuck and Mark, and then directing them was probably 
the most satisfaction I had over the years. Sure. I, I love doing that. And I love directing, you know. Well, you did videos for Soundgarden. And, yeah. And, uh, Weird stuff, silver chair. I mean, groups that you wouldn't think would hire me. <laughs> Both the cars. Well, not so much the cars video, but the... Uh, well, those are very low budget. But clever. But the Soundgarden was the same primary colors. That was a Devo video. Yeah, same palette. They were wearing similar outfits, and it was. I thought that was a compliment. You know, it's fascinating what Devo's impact on culture is. It's almost stealth. The good thing is that somehow, despite all the mistakes and all the horrors of business, we did enough right, we did enough right over time, and we had enough substance that somehow it's withstood the test of time and transcended like bands like the Knack with skinny ties, right? <laughs> it's like they understand that Defo is a worldview. They understand that Devo is a certain way of thinking. You could have, you know, a Devo watch. You could have, you know, right? Yeah. You could have a Devo restaurant. You, you could have Devo fashion line. Um, you can have a Devo film. Clearly, they, they know that Devo can put the Devo mark and brand on That's anything. Right. Mm -hmm. And that, that is the one thing that kind of like uh, encourages me because there is that. It isn't like we get played on the radio a lot or had, you know, 10 million records sell or something, but the kids know us. They all discovered us on YouTube and other sources digitally, and 19-year-olds, 29-year-olds, right? They come to our show. They visit our site. I'm sorry that things are a challenge for you now. It's horrid. We're all going through it yeah, to one degree or another, and incoming. <laughs> uh, that kind of struggle sometimes yields great art. This is a time for Devo. Oh, well, Devo should be back together writing new material. Yeah, right? absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah, but you would you better talk to Mark. I'd be happy to. Yeah, I, the rest <laughs> of us would be there in a moment, yeah. But that's another parallel you drew with Fireside Theater. Since we're, we're all Dadaistic, we were doing satirical stuff. We, we too, still have a following. Uh, it's not necessarily, right. sometimes it gets younger, but uh, we still have a following. We right. still have a cultural effect. Right. The, the Library of Congress purchased our archives for a lot of money. And so we've been recognized, like you guys have, as being a cultural influence. Yeah, you made a contribution that changed things. Yes. Two of our members are no longer with us. Mm -hmm. but well, two of our members yeah, are no longer. Same with you, actually. Two brothers are gone, right? I lost my brother, and Alan's gone. It's really horrible. If that doesn't get better over time. I actually, sometimes it'll drift into my brain, and, and mm. I'll have a wave of... Uh, serious depression that's oh. worse than when it happened. Well, I'm sorry. But that's the reality of it, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. You have to embrace it. You can't deny yeah, it. Yeah, I know. Oh, I know. This has been wonderful, Gerald. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. What yeah. a delight. Yeah, it was nice. We can talk another time, do segment two. Love to. I mean, there's plenty of stuff we didn't talk yeah. about. Let us know if you find a, an opportunity to resuscitate. Devo. Yeah, wouldn't It can happen. Nice. You know, every, we're just on pause. There's a little pause button. You know, that's people need to hear Devo now. Yeah. Absolutely. That's I right. know. We we need a new president now. <laughs> but we ought to take a deep breath yeah. and think about the future. Phil. 
Yeah. It's just so great to see you in person again. I know. I and mean, we have to go back into our bunkers. Yes, we I, do. I know, but, and I, I hope that your bunker got a little fresh air finally. <laughs> and it's just been great to be doing this outside, even with airplanes and air conditioners. Oh. It's just great. I'm Ted Bonnet. And I'm Phil uh, Proctor. That's it. And I'm Jerry from Devo. Duty now for the future. We mean it. You've been listening to Phil and Ted's Sexy Boomer Show, featuring Phil Proctor and Ted Bonnet and special guest Gerald Casale of Devo. Shoes for Industry, written and performed by the Firesign Theater. Music by Eddie Betos and the Nervous Brothers. I'm a Ernest Guy. Join us for the next episode of Phil and Ted's Sexy Boomer Show, produced by RadioPictures.com, the makers of fine podcasts for boomers. Okay. <laughs>